Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Good morning, everyone. So, oh, Solomon was very tall in this. <laughs> awesome. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, yes, yeah, so over the next three weeks, we're starting this new sermon series uh, about the hard sayings of Jesus. Um, so I'll be preaching today and Ian will uh, take the next two. Um, perfect. I don't know about you, but I find the Bible, the Bible is hard to understand at the best of times, let alone the sayings of Jesus that kind of catch you off guard or they seem a bit controversial and you ask yourself, did he really just say that? Even when Paul writes, when he says that women should wear hairdressers in church, or where Peter writes that women should not adorn themselves in gold jewellery or have elaborate hairstyles. Verses in the Bible that make you question what they really mean. But what about Jesus saying, you must hate your mother and father and follow me? Everything about the Bible is soaked in historical context. Really, this text was written 2,000 years ago in a different language in an ancient world, and the authors of the books in the Bible probably never could have comprehended that we in Brisbane, Australia, 2023, would be reading their words today. And the authors of the books in the Bible were writing for their immediate audience too. So Paul was writing to the church in Corinth in 50 AD. And when Paul was writing, he wasn't thinking about our age, our era, our culture, our country, or our people. Paul would be like a journalist today. A journalist wasn't writing for an article for 2,000 years' time. When we read about what's happening in Brisbane, we know what they mean when the author might title Rampage of the Bin Chickens, right? We would have the assumed knowledge that anyone in Brisbane would know a bin chicken is the ibis bird, and they're everywhere, and they rampage, and they're not quite good-looking birds either. Even if a Swedish person was to read that today, they would have no idea what that reference was either. So the Bible is complex and complicated in the same way Jesus, Paul, Peter, Moses, Jeremiah would have written in a way assuming people would would know their figures of speech. We have that as well today. So when Jesus was saying, you must hate your mother and father and follow me, Jesus is using an example of hyperbole or an exaggeration of comparison, which was a common way for the Jewish rabbis to teach at the time. And for example, he doesn't mean hate in the way that we would understand it today, where we would say, oh, it means to despise, to cut off, to disown, to throw away. Love and hate was a common comparison in Jewish teaching. So while we might be caught on this hard saying, the people of the time would have understood that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, I must come first and everything else must be second. So when it comes to reading and interpreting the Bible, it isn't an easy feat. So what about Jesus' teaching on prayer is what we'll come to today. And I think we can find a hard saying in Luke. If you have your Bibles today, we'll be in Luke 11, 
verses 5 to 13. I'll also have it on the screen for us as well. To set the scene, the disciples come to Jesus noticing how he prays. And they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus follows this by giving them the Lord's Prayer, which we all are familiar with. But they notice that there's something different in the way that Jesus prays. So Jesus, after giving them the prayer, he continues with this analog, uh, sorry, an- parable and analogy um, to help them understand the principle of prayer. So from verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Initially, when I read this passage, I thought, in, in my Brisbane mindset, I thought, oh, he could have just waited until the morning to go down to Brumby's, get a fresh loaf of bread and maybe some bacon and eggs as well to make it up to the friend. But even just that thought highlighted to me that I missed the whole historical context in understanding this passage. See, in this time, loaves of bread were very small and baked fresh each morning and usually eaten on the same day. Hence why they had no bread to offer this traveling guest at midnight. And why was this man traveling at midnight anyway? Well, commentaries say that it is pretty common in a desert climate for people to travel after the sunset, after the heat of the day. But also in our modern world, we think we rarely have people rock up unannounced to our houses. I know if I rocked up to my parents' house, mum would be like, oh, could you like to just text me or call me? Or even now you can share your location, share your ETA. In a time before technology, I imagine you did just rock up and knock and expect to be served and expect to be let in. But even more in a region where hospitality was renowned, if someone just rocked up after a long journey, you had to feed them. But if you'd eaten all the bread and poor families probably didn't have many leftovers, in this time it was pretty normal for you to knock on your neighbor's door and ask to borrow some bread because they'd share resources together. But in first century Israel, when the, when the friend says, don't bother me, I can't get up, the door is already locked. This is probably a normal response too. His reluctance is probably very normal. In that time, one whole family would sleep in one room, perhaps on one bed. And even the level above where all the cows and the goats and the sheep were sleeping. So if this man got up, he would wake up his whole household. And it is so annoying having to get a baby back to sleep once you bump it as well. So Jesus says, 
after he's talked about this situation, not just because you are friends, but because of your shameless audacity, your neighbour will get up and give you everything you need. Your neighbour will help you in response to your shameless audacity. It's hard to capture this word. Many translations of the Bible have a very different word for this phrase. But it's not quite persistence. It's more a boldness, a a near arrogance almost of having that courageous um, expectation on approaching someone. I don't know whether you've had to ask very bluntly for something, maybe a promotion at work, or if you've had to ask your neighbours to turn their music down. Sometimes in those moments, you need that audacity and you need that shameless courage. But what I find hard about this saying is that it's in the context of a teaching about prayer. It's hard to picture Jesus saying that this is how we should pray, a God who would ask his people to approach him like this. It seems disrespectful and at most maybe nagging, begging, pleading, I'm desperate, please, knock, knock, knock. An incredible boldness that might make us think, I can't approach God like that in all of his power and glory and majesty. I can't demand something of him. Maybe if you've had this thought, have you ever imagined God like the reluctant neighbour? God saying, oh, don't bother me, please. It's after hours, the door's shut. I've had a busy day dealing with world affairs. I just need a break. Call me tomorrow. Have you ever had that thought? And I think if we, if we perceive God might react like that, our prayers would become almost nagging and I feel like I wouldn't want to pray either. I wouldn't want to bother someone with the things that's concerning me. And we think, oh, if I'm persistent enough, maybe God will get up and answer for me. We can wrongly picture God as the friend who is either already asleep and doesn't want to come to our aid or that reluctance until we keep banging and help asking for help. This dynamic of prayer is pretty interesting in the way that it plays out, but I think there are other ways we can misperceive God as well. Without knowing, we can perhaps picture God as a boss and we his employees, where we think, okay, I've done all these things for God, all right, I hope I get my reward by praying for this. But how do you think that plays out? God, I've done this for you. I asked for this in return. But what happens when we don't get what we've prayed for? Did I do something wrong? Did I not pray enough? Or we might relate to God in our prayers as if he's a genie. A cosmic bell, we ring for God and he's our errand boy. We don't care who we're praying to. We have three wishes and we use them up. And perhaps if they're not granted, we throw away the lamp and try something different. If these can be our subconscious ideas of the God we are praying to, no wonder that's why I, and I'm sure we, struggle to pray in the first place. We don't want to, 
We don't try to. We don't know how to. We don't know what to pray for, how much to pray for something. God's never healed me of my chronic sickness. I've been praying for something to happen for a while, but it's just not happening. We feel guilty praying even, and we feel guilty asking for something. Now, if we look at this parable again, we can see that Jesus is applying that Jewish teaching of comparison. Jesus is saying there was a man who was asleep and who was most reluctant to help. Even though you were friends, it was because of your boldness that he just got up anyway. But God is not like that. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. So if God is not like the reluctant friend, if he's not like a boss, if he's not like a genie, who is he to you? As Shale mentioned earlier, last week's Alpha video was on prayer. And there was this really powerful story that I'll share today. Um, This young American man was enlisted for service. And back home, he found out that his father and brother had died. So he was the one responsible to go back to his sister and his mother and look after the house. But he couldn't. He was enlisted to the army. So the only way he could get out of his service was to go to the President of the United States and ask for him to be dismissed. So this man makes the trek to the White House and he gets there and he gets only to the guards and the guards are like, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I want to speak to the President. And they laugh at him and they turn him away. Later you see this young man and he's sitting on a park bench, distraught, does not know what to do. Then this little young boy walks up to him and he asks him what's going on. The soldier tells him his story and finds himself weeping over the situation. Then suddenly the young boy grabs him by his hand. They run past the gate, run past the guards, enter the back door of the White House, run past all the meetings, the whole queue, the line that was in line to see the president, barge through the doors, and Abraham Lincoln looks up and says, Oh, what's the matter, son? And the little boy says, Dad, this man needs your help. Because of Christ, and when we believe in him, and when he gives us his spirit, he gives us the right to be children of God, and he gives us the same freedom to relate to God as he does. God, our Father in heaven, Like this little boy in the story, we can approach God with that same shameless audacity. Even if his wife came in and barged into the meeting and said, "Um, Abraham, I need to talk to you. I'm sure Abraham would be like, oh, sorry, honey, I'm really busy right now. Can Can we talk later? Only his son and only his child would have the boldness to come in and talk like that and for the father to respond in that way. the shameless audacity. To him, to the son, Abraham Lincoln was his father. He wasn't the battle strategist. He wasn't the president. 
He wasn't the boss. He wasn't just some guy that you never see. Abraham Lincoln was his loving father. And if we go back to the parable, I imagine at this point the disciples are thinking, oh, we've unlocked the secret of prayer. Ask and you'll receive. But I'm sure we all know that isn't the case sometimes. And Jesus continues in his teaching and he says this really interesting analogy here. Talking to the disciples, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, though you are purely human, how much, um, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Of course not. If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Absolutely not. A loving parent would not trick their child like this. If your child asked you for a sandwich, you would not give them a sponge with two cardboard pieces wrapped in it. If your child asked you a key to the house, you wouldn't give them a really sharp piece of metal and say, here you go, figure it out. If they asked for a life jacket, a flotation device, you wouldn't give them a balloon. But see, the tension of a child asking for something that isn't good for them is something I think we're very familiar with. Perhaps think of a child saying, Mum, I want ice cream for breakfast. No, Jimmy, it's Tuesday. You need wheat bix and fruit because you're going to go to school and you need to use your brain. Maybe on Saturday, when your cousins are over, we can have ice cream then. Or I know Shale said this the other day too. Lucas was annoyed that he wasn't going to be a professional video gamer and he blamed Shale for it. And then Shale said, no, it's not good for you. Go outside and learn how to play basketball because when you're in uni, you'll need to learn how to have a sport that you can socialise with people. There is a tone in that, isn't there? No, sweetheart, that will hurt you, but here's what I'd like to give you instead. Unknowingly, a child can ask for something that they don't know will be hurtful to them. And even now, we can be asking for scorpions without even knowing it either. See, I think prayer is so powerful that it has to have a safety catch at some point. And I think that safety catch is that God is our Father and that he'll only give good things to us. But what happens when God isn't answering our prayers? What happens if you have been struggling with something for so long, for so many years, you've prayed relentlessly? I can't claim to tell you I have the answer. But for me, I go back to thinking of God as a father and thinking if he knows his infinite knowledge and if he knows my heart and your heart, he's a good father and he won't give you anything that will be a scorpion or a snake.
somewhere along the line, we've, we've lost our childhood instinct towards God, where we have slipped into the idea of him being our boss or a reluctant friend or a genie. But I think in this passage, Jesus is saying, the key to prayer is relating to God as your father. It changes our whole dynamic to how we relate to him. We can yell at him. We can be angry at him. We can express our dreams and desires. We can ask for advice. We can ask for him to hold us when we're upset. This is the God who loves us and who calls us our child, his child. And maybe this is an invitation for us to go to be more real and to be more honest with the things that are troubling us and the things that we want to ask from God. The shameless audacity to cry out in the middle of the night, God, Father, I need a second job. God, I need more money. God, I'm tired. I need more strength. And if your prayer isn't answered, we can trust that God loves us still. That it isn't like a boss relationship where we've done something wrong. Or it's not like a genie where he'll answer everything on the spot. But within the dynamic of a father and child relationship, unanswered prayers can be, can land there, I think. They can land safely in the arms of someone who cares so deeply about you. And I think from this, we can get in the last verse, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think that is the key as well, that how much more, if we think we know a good gift for our child, how much more will God give a good gift to us? And ultimately, the best gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Jesus within us and the gift of his comfort in our life. So if you think that you know God, but you want to know him more, may this be your prayer. How much more, God, will you give me your Holy Spirit? I'm asking for it, God. This is the one thing I can guarantee when you pray, you will receive. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will receive. And when you knock on the door of Jesus, he will come in. So therefore, we can ask of God like a child asks a father. So as you think now, are there things that you're praying for? Maybe it is a family member to come to faith, to come to know him. Praying for the young adults with shameless audacity that God would add to our number here. Praying for his son and his family the shameless audacity to ask God that we need this to happen and pray that we can know him more and ask for more of his Holy Spirit. As we go into the next song, I really encourage you to think about those things, to pray to God as your father. And if it's not answered, you know that he is still a good father. If it is answered, he is still a good father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you 
that we can barge in, we can barge in, Lord, and ask of you as a child would ask their father. Lord, I pray that as we've grown up, God, we've, we've um, turned away from that childlike response to you, Jesus. So I pray that you would restore that deep in our hearts, God, that we would, um, our spirits would testify with you, God, that we are children of God and you are our Father. Lord, the things that we struggle with, the things we pray for, God, may you increase our boldness to ask. Lord, and comfort us when, when we don't know what we're praying for, God. If, if we're actually praying for a scorpion, Lord, I pray you'd help us see, see your infinite wisdom and help us to pray what you would have in our life, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.